this is a joy for me to be here this morning. You could, all of you could go home and that would be just great. But stay, stay, please. So I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever heard of William Jackson Marion? And if you have ever heard of William Jackson Marion, I would be completely shocked. Let me tell you about who William Jackson Marion is. You're probably going, who's this guy? I thought we were going to talk about Jesus today. And we are going to talk about Jesus. But first, we have to talk about William Jackson Marion. William Jackson Marion was executed in Nebraska in 1887 for allegedly murdering his friend John Cameron in 1872. John Cameron and William Marion were heading to Kansas to find work with the railroad. They stopped at Marion's mother-in-law's home to stay the night when Cameron went missing. A body was found near a riverbed almost a year later that the authorities assumed was Cameron, that, uh, and they charged Marion with the murder. Marion was convicted by a jury of his peers. He appealed the decision and won the right for a retrial and was convicted again of the same murder. And he was sentenced to death by hanging. He was hung on March 25th, 1887. Let me read to you the account in the paper that was written regarding the execution of William Jackson Marion. And this is from the Beatrice Nebraska Bee from 1887. And I'm giving you the short version of this, believe me. William Jackson Marion, convicted of the murder of John Cameron, was hung in the county jail yard. He had been convicted twice and sentenced four times before the decree of the law was carried out. And it was the first legal execution ever in Gage County, Nebraska. I dare you to look that up. There was a bunch of needless chatter inside this uh, account that I'm not going to share with you, so we'll pick it up here. Marion and the authorities headed from the prison to the gallows. At 11 o'clock a.m., Sheriff Davis read the death warrant, and Marion said goodbye to the sheriff and his family. At 11.12, Reverend Albright offered prayer for Marion, and Marion was then asked if he had anything to say. Marion waited two to three minutes with his head bowed, and these are the words that he finally was able to speak. He said, you have been waiting some time to hear me say something. I am willing to confess that I am a sinner, the same as all other men. I have made no confession and have none to make. After saying a few more words, he said, that is all I have to say. At 11.15, he was bound, and the trap door was open, and Marion was hung to death at 11.20. This is the reporter's account of the witnesses that were there for the execution. There were more than 50 people inside the area who saw the hanging, and another 300 or so outside wanting to get in. The National Guard kept order. There was no unseemly proceeding in connection with the execution. Marion was self-possessed from the first to the last and seemed to be the coolest man present. His last words were given in a steady and strong voice, and he met death without flinching. So that's, that's quite an account. That's quite an account for a man guilty 
who's been convicted twice and sentenced four times for the murder of his friend. Why would he do such a horrible thing, you might ask? We need to remember his words that he never confessed to the murder. Never. You might be thinking, well, as I did when I, when I read this account of person, you know, and I'm giving you, like I said, the abbreviated version, that at least he held his dignity together to the end and confessed that he was a sinner. A just result, you might say, for a man who had committed murder. But here's the end of the story. Here's the end of the story. Four years later, four years later, John Cameron was found alive. Get this. He had run away to Mexico to escape marrying a young lady who proclaimed Cameron to be the father of her child. Marion did not receive a pardon for his unjust execution until 100 years later in 1997. <laughs> That's crazy, right? A guy runs away because he's afraid to admit that he's the father of some lady's child and another man was murdered unjustly because they thought he was dead. Why would I tell you this story, you might ask? Even though it's interesting, what does this have to do with anything that we're going to talk about this morning? Let's remember that Jesus is in the middle of a very unjust trial. A sham of a trial. A trial that, as we look at it piece by piece through the eyes of John, we see it how it is even more unjust than we might even think it is. If there ever was an innocent man who died for an unjust charge against him, it was Jesus Christ. And no one held it together in the most unjust crucifixion in history than our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We think, where was the justice for Marion and his family? Why did it take so long for his family to see him pardoned for a crime he never committed. I ask you this, and this will kick us off into a, a really deep, deep message that we have this morning. I ask you this, why has it taken some of you so long to recognize Jesus for who he really is? Why the hate? Why the unjust questioning of his own testimony? We have seen through all of his miracles and healings and his teachings regarding the coming of the kingdom, nothing but love and truth. Jesus has been showing us that he is the way, that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of the most high God. He himself is the one, is one with the Father. Why is it so offensive to you that he spoke about forgiving sin. But you're not the only ones. Let's read today's passage and look and ask and ask the Lord to show us about ourselves. And as we study this, how does this trial, how do we put ourselves into this? Let's read John 18, 19 through 24 together. Starting in verse 19 in John 18, it says, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. 
Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing, standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we thank you for the power of this passage. We thank you, really, for the story of William Jackson Marion and how this even relates to what it is that you went through here in the sham of a trial that we are going to look at. Father, help us to remember the injustices that you have gone through in your own life when we start to think about the injustices in our life and wonder, where are you? Help us, Lord, to understand that we know who you are. Help us, Lord, to see you for who you really are through this passage. I pray, God, that these words that I speak, Lord, they would be your words and not my words. And I praise you and thank you and, and lift all of this up to you, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at these first verses, 19 through 21, and there's only two points to this sermon, which you'll all be grateful for by the end. The first thing that we need to remember is that Annas is not really the current high priest. Caiaphas is. Annas was the high priest for many years before Caiaphas, and he was very well respected and knowledgeable in the law of Moses, God's law, and as a leader of the Jewish community. So in today's world, we might think of Annas as the high priest emeritus or high priest of honorable distinction. And verse 19 provides us some insight into what Jesus is being held for. At this point, there are no formal charges against Jesus. Annas is questioning Jesus about his disciples, his followers, and his teaching. And as we have seen in the previous couple of weeks where the disciples have scattered after Jesus was arrested, let's keep in mind that this was Jesus' design to begin with. John 17, 12, that great prayer that he gave. While I was with them, he said, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. You see, Annas may be fishing for the lowdown on, lowdown on where the disciples are so that he can get them as well. But I'm not sure if he really thought Jesus was going to give up his followers quite that easily. And we can see in John 17, 12 that Jesus was never going to give him the down low on where his disciples were. He was protecting them. But the second part of Anna's inquiry is very interesting. Because in our English translations, it seems harmless enough. But in the original language, in the Greek, Annas is asking Jesus about his doctrine, his theology. That's what he meant by teaching. What was Jesus telling all the people who were following him? Was Jesus teaching falsely about the law, the word of God? He is trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself as a false prophet. Because if he did, that would be a charge that would be punishable by death. But Annas doesn't expect and he is not ready for what happens next. 
You see, as we have seen throughout the account of John, and when you read the other gospel accounts, we know that Jesus likes to answer a question with a question. He hardly ever answers a question directly. And Jesus fully knows what is happening in this unjust trial. That it is against the law for them to be questioning him as the accused. In the Jewish court system, as Matt lined out to us a couple weeks ago from the Jewish Mishnah, that according to the Mishnah, that the accused was not to be directly questioned by the accuser. They were to go and find witnesses, and if the witnesses corroborated the story, just two of them, that was enough. And the accused would not have the right to answer. They would be convicted right there. In our court system, we know that's not the case. We have the right to face our accuser. In our court system, if you watch Law and Order like I have done religiously over the years, you know how it works, right? There's the prosecution gives, gives the, their testimony. They bring their witnesses and, and all of the evidence that they have against the accused. And then the defense gets to answer. Then the jury takes all the facts that they receive, and then they make their decision on whether the person is guilty or not. That is not the case here. If two witnesses corroborated on, this, on the accused as to what they were being charged with, that person would be guilty. There would be no chance for them to answer back. So when Jesus is telling them, you know, why are you questioning me? He has full right. Let's read again verse 20. Jesus answered Annas. He said, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple and where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. So again, by reading the book of John or any of the gospel accounts, we can clearly see that Jesus was open about the truth regarding who he is and the purpose of his coming. To bring the kingdom of God, to save people from their sins, to heal the sick and give sight to the blind, to feed the poor, to obediently follow his Father's will. Jesus, as John tells us in 1-7, in John 1-7, he says, He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And as great as that is, the fact that Jesus came so that we would believe, that he would take us to the light, there is even more to what Jesus said. And we have to remember this about and this is what, I tell you, this is what gets exciting when you start digging into a passage. More than when you just read it in your reading plan. And you take that extra step and you really dig into it. You find this stuff out. And this is fascinating. So pay attention to this. I get geeked out on the details. Jesus is talking to Annas. He is the respected scholar and leader of Israel. We just talked about that. The high priest emeritus. Jesus knows that he is an expert in the scriptures. So listen to this tidbit that he gives at the end of verse 20. I have done nothing in secret. And by saying those six short words, Jesus knew it would take Annas back to Isaiah 45, 18 and 19 and 48, 16. 
Now, how do I know that? How can I be sure? Because part of Annas' task as a high priest was to have the entire Old Testament memorized. And Jesus knew that if he just said one part of a section of Scripture, Annas would remember where it came from and the context upon which it was given. So listen to this. For thus says the Lord, this is, this is Isaiah 45, 18 and 19. For thus says the Lord, who created the heaven, he is God, who formed the earth and made it and established it. He did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. Now listen to this part. I am the Lord, there is no other. I did not speak in secret. In a land of darkness, I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. And then in Isaiah 48, 16, it says this. This is the Lord speaking. Keep this in mind. Draw near to me. Hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. Did you hear that? From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me in his spirit. Imagine Annas hearing that and having Jesus say, I've done nothing in secret. And we know from our understanding that he didn't do anything in secret. But here's Annas now listening and being brought back to this passage in Isaiah and hearing Jesus calling himself the Lord. That is not something that we should just pass over. This is who Jesus really is. Annas had to be stunned. Says again, why do you ask me? Ask these who have heard me. The, ask these who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Jesus again turns the current injustice he is enduring. He is changing who is on the defense? Mm. Now Annas is on the defense. Jesus isn't on the defense because guess who's in charge of this whole situation? Jesus is. There is nothing that happens to him that he is not in control of. His appointment with the cross is set from before the beginning of time. It is going to happen. He knows this was going to happen. He knew it had to happen. But he is asking for it to be done justly, and it isn't. So he puts Annas on the defense, and Annas knows that Jesus is right. This is an incredibly fascinating chess match to watch. So then the question comes to us. There's always an application for us, is there not? What does this mean to me, you might ask? How does this help me with my life? All my life I have been faced with with injustices. My family life as I was growing up was awful. My parents got divorced. My spouse cheated on me. My kids hate me. I've dealt with friends and family dying all around me. I'm poor and I cannot afford anything. I got cancer. I started drinking. I got addicted to all kinds of things. I have asked God for release from my pain and my sexual desires and I haven't found any 
release. Talk about injustices. Look at me, you might say. And I say, well, what about you? What injustices have you done to others? What unjust judgments have you made about family members, friends, people in church, and at work? Look at what is happening to the one who can save you. Look at the injustice that he is enduring in this passage and in the passages to come. Look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Look at the nails in his hands and his feet. Look at the crown of thorns jammed on his head. Look at his friend Peter who's just ditched him three times. Here he is now, all alone, in a trial, facing a charge that he never committed that would end in his death. And what does he say to you, sinner? He says this in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. He says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is not offering condemnation. He is offering life. He is offering help. He is reaching his hand out to us and he is saying, come to me and instead of judgment, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. Jesus is the coolest man present in all situations. He always kept his head about him, even to his death. It is for our sin that Jesus is facing the injustice of the sham trial that we see in this passage. It is your sin and my sin that sent him to the cross. We are the guilty ones. Where is the justice for your life, you say? Where is the justice for Jesus? If you give your life to Christ and receive him as your Savior and Lord and place your full faith and trust in his promise that he will forgive you and release you from your sins, then your justice is found in the injustice that Jesus had to suffer. Just look at the cross. What do you see there? Do you just see a guilty man hanging on an instrument of execution? Or do you see the innocent son of the Most High bearing all of your sins and the sins of all mankind on his body, bleeding so that you may be made righteous before God? Again, Matthew 11, 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls if you give your life to Christ. Life is not easy. And if you give your life to Christ, it may even become more difficult. Because if someone has ever come to you and said that if you become a Christian, all of your problems are going to go away. Anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time would tell you that is a lie. 
That doesn't happen. But you do not ever go through your problems alone again. You have the most high God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who takes you by the hand, puts his arm around you, and guides you to green pastures. Life isn't fair. It isn't just. If it was, you and I would go to the cross. But we don't. Christ provides us hope for tomorrow, an eternity in heaven where there is no more pain or suffering. Tears are wiped away. There is in, no more injustice, no more sin. So if you choose not to follow Jesus, your justice will be borne by yourself, by you. You will be sentenced to eternity in hell. The payment for your sins will be on you. So if you still feel that God has been unfair to you, if you still feel that the Lord Jesus has not been listening to your prayers or does not understand the trials and pain you're going through in your life, keep listening to the end of the message because the next verse is an emotional twist in this passage. This is a slap that was heard through all eternity. We turn now to verses 22 through 24. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is this how you talk to the high priest? And Jesus answered him, what if, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. In verse 22, we read a very disturbing, and for a Christian, a very emotional moment in this unjust trial, out of nowhere, Jesus is slapped by an officer. And the verse says, struck. In the Greek, there's actually two words here. One is the word struck, and the other describes how Jesus was struck. He was struck with the open part of the palm of a man's hand. An open-handed slap across Jesus' face. It is a very personal slap. The officer had to look Jesus in the face in order to slap him that way. Imagine that moment. The officer thought he was protecting Annas, the high priest. He thought he is in the right, but again is in violation of their own Jewish court protocol. Jesus had not been charged with anything, and abuse of a prisoner was against the law. This was purely a self-righteous, sinful moment that drove the officer to strike Jesus in the face, a slap heard throughout eternity. And I know what you're thinking. I thought the same thing, that we might be thinking, gosh, I'm glad I didn't slap Jesus. That guy's going to get his in a minute. We're going to look back at that, so hold on to that thought. But listen to what the officer says to Jesus. Is this how you answer the high priest? He had no idea who was standing before him. He had no idea who he had just slapped. The creator was slapped by the creature he created in his image. 
the question I asked myself when I read this was, who is really the high priest here? And it reminded me of Hebrews 4. And we look at verses 14 through 16 in Hebrews 4, and it says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Christ is the high priest. He is the great high priest. Not Annas. Annas might be the leader of the nation of Israel and set as the high priest of that time, but who does he serve? Christ. Because Christ is the great high priest. Do you see this terrible irony in this situation? That Jesus, as the great high priest, the chief shepherd, he is above all. The officer, he is a nobody. His name isn't even listed. And he struck Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the great high priest in the face, and had the gall to ask Jesus if he knows how to talk properly to the high priest. Wow. Wow. I'm glad I'm not him, you might be saying, right? And keep saying that. I'm telling you, we'll get to that in a minute. In the other gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are other details in this trial that, that John doesn't bring into his gospel. But the other accounts do not mention this personal meeting with Annas. John decided by the, by the moving of the Holy Spirit to include this meeting with Annas and this slap in his gospel. And I kept asking myself as I was studying for this, why would John include this very personal meeting with Annas and the fact that Jesus was struck by an open hand by one single officer? I prayed about that, and my conclusion is that John wanted this to be very personal to the reader. His gospel was written several years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he wrote it most likely in Ephesus. And his main audience at the time were both Jews and Gentiles, believers and unbelievers. John's purpose for writing the gospel is found in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wanted this to be a very personal meeting. He wanted this to be very personal to us because coming to grips that we are sinners in need of a Savior is a very personal decision. Coming to God and humbling yourself before him that you need someone to save you because you cannot save yourself is personal. John's whole purpose is so that we will see who Jesus really is and that he is the one 
and that he is the only one who can save us from ourselves. So let's look back in a moment that we were all thinking when the officer slapped Jesus that we're glad that we weren't that guy because he had to be doomed for hell. Let me ask you this question. Are you sure you haven't struck Jesus in the face before? Are you sure your pride and your bravado don't mock him to his face in a very personal way? In Luke 18, 10 through 14, Jesus tells this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So then the question is, which one are you in this parable? The sinner or the self-righteous Pharisee who doesn't see yourself slapping Jesus and mocking him with your pride filled with self-righteous sin? You see, all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins before our holy God, our great high priest Jesus. All of us have slapped Jesus in the face in a very personal way when we are not obedient to his commands. Jesus told us that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. So the opposite of that meaning is that if we don't keep his commandments, we hate him, like the officer. And I know this is a hard truth. You know, who isn't receiving justice now? You or Jesus? The wage for our sin is death, but God gives us a gift. He gives us a gift that we don't earn. It's called grace. And that grace is found in Jesus' death and his resurrection. His shed blood purifies our sins, and we become regenerated from a dead corpse destined for the pits of hell into a living, breathing, new creation dressed in white and clean, adopted children into God's holy kingdom. This can only happen when you humble yourself before Jesus and admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're capable of slapping him, even if it's just figuratively, and admit you need him. You are incapable of saving yourself. Tell Jesus you recognize and admit that he is your Savior and give the rest of your life from this day forward to him. And you will be saved from your sin. It is his promise to you. It is why Jesus is enduring this unjust trial that leads to death on a cross. The place where nobody could follow him. 
He was the only one who could go there. He was the only one who could take our punishment on himself so that no one, so that one man might die for the many. Now, I know that some of you here today, that you'll never do this. Some of you here today are probably unsaved. And if you're one of them, today is the day to end your stubbornness, to drop your pride, and to humble yourself before a holy God, your creator, Jesus Christ. Let's look at how Jesus reacted to being slapped in verse 23. Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Notice that Jesus didn't retaliate physically. He didn't call down 12 legions of angels to rescue him. No, he handled it like he always does. He asked a question. This question was to set the table straight again. He was turning the defense from himself to putting the officer now on defense because Jesus fully is in charge. He is keeping his emotions in a cool head, even when he was struck unjustly. And his statement sets up this next question. He knows that he is being illegally and unjustly questioned. So he said, if what I say is wrong, then prove it. Bear witness to it. Charge me as a false prophet. But if you see that what I'm saying is true, then why do you strike me? Once again, Jesus is making this, or John is making this very personal. Not only for those who were there, but for his readers. Because this question that Jesus is asking is a question that all of us have to answer. And there is no middle ground. This requires an answer. You must respond. Those who were there had to respond. Jesus answered him. Let's read this again. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Again, I, I, I ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is your Savior, that only he can save you from your sins, that only he can raise you from eternal death in hell to eternal life with him in heaven? If you do, if you say you are a Christian, then let me ask you this very personal question. Why do you continue to slap him with your sin and your disobedience? If you are convinced that Jesus is just a good guy and he'd be fun to hang out with, but you could choose to go it for yourself, you're going to trust in your good works, which, by the way, you don't have any. The Bible says they're like filthy rags. Then bear witness against him. Prove that what he says through his healings, through his teachings about himself, when he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. Prove what he says is wrong. Bear witness against him. Because silence is just as much a rejection as a full denial. In verse 24, Annas makes his decision. And his silence says everything. Verse 24, the great high priest emeritus, the mighty one of Israel, says this. And Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. 
Annas doesn't bear witness against Jesus. He just sent him on his way. Why? Because he knew Jesus was right. He had no answer to the questions that Jesus had for him. There was no answer. The Savior of the world was standing right before the high priest emeritus, Annas, the one who could save him. And instead of turning to him and falling and admitting that he needed him, he sent him on his way. Friends, I know that life is hard. I know that sometimes we are treated unjustly. I know sometimes things aren't fair. But God does not do this as a punishment. God does this so that you become more like him. And you draw closer to Christ and your relationship becomes that much stronger. You know what he is going through. Sometimes we need to be disciplined, and discipline can be hard. But today, I'm telling you, Jesus, not me, is standing right before you. And he is asking you the question, if what I'm saying is right, why do you strike me? And I ask you, are you going to accept him are you going to repent of your sins? Are you going to confess your wrongs and bow before him and tell him you need him and give your life to him and live for him and let him transform you and regenerate you from death to life? Or are you going to send him on his way and pass him off to the next person? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we are grateful for the power of your word, the strength and the power of who you are. Father God, thank you, God, for the power of your word. I pray, God, that we would take this message this morning and we would deal with the questions here that you are asking us through John, through the officer, through Annas, and that we would answer, Lord, yes, we need you. Lord, I'm sorry that I have slapped you. I'm sorry, Lord, that I have sinned against you in this way. And I pray, God, that you would forgive me. Lord, that I humble myself before you. And I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for taking all of my injustices upon yourself. Thank you for taking all my sins that I have committed unjustly before you upon you. And we praise you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. If you are here this morning and you have never given your life to Christ, if you are unsure if you're a Christian or you don't know how to do that, how do you give your life to Jesus, then please come and see me or Matt or Dennis or anyone that is sitting around you that you know has a relationship with Jesus. And we will show you how. We will show you how simple it is and how today you can know that Christ is your Savior.